Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Head Pastor Owen Stepp, titled, Taking the Scenic Route, and is part of our sermon series titled, Psalms for the Road. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Owen. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, or else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, now your word has been read. We have received it. May we now receive the blessing and the sealing of your spirit upon it that we might be changed and made new in the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Leslie is away today. You'll notice she had a big wedding here yesterday. Her daughter Hollister married Marcus, and they donated these beautiful flowers that are before us today. And I believe that uh, Parks and Leslie are on their way up to Montreat to relax a little bit on the back side of that. Many of us are traveling these days of summer, and it always brings to mind for me family vacation when we were growing up. Now, I have three brothers, and we lived in West Palm Beach, Florida, and there were three places that the Step family went on vacation. There was Grandmom and Granddaddy's house in Columbus, Mississippi. There was Big Mom and Pawpaw's house in Gulfport, Mississippi, and there was Montreat. Those were the three places that we went, and we loved it. You know, this was where we were going every summer. But you can imagine the trial it was for my parents to pack up the four stepboys in the back of the family truckster and drive for about 12 hours or so to get to wherever we were going. It could be a bit disorienting at times, I would believe. This was no screens in our station wagon, mind you, at this time. And there was plenty of fighting in the back. But sometimes these trips took longer than others, and usually it had something to do with my dad remembering a shortcut of how to get to his parents' home from somewhere in Alabama. One such time was when we were driving, we were all young, and we were driving through a town in Alabama, and we saw the name written on the side of a barn, Welcome to Slap Out Alabama. 
and we were greatly entertained by this. There's a town called Slapout, Alabama, and we thought this was great, kept driving, and about 10 minutes later, we saw that same barn. <laughs> Welcome to Slapout, Alabama. Now, the third time we saw that barn, we were like, Dad, this was a shortcut, wasn't it? Sometimes in those days, particularly, we could become disoriented on the country roads of the South. There are times in our lives when we can become disoriented a bit as well, right? In fact, the Psalms speak to those moments in our lives, and in the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has categorized the Psalms as Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. Psalm 32 that we read today is one of the great psalms of reorientation that we can find in Scripture. It leads us through the whole gamut of human condition, from being lost and sick to being healed and restored and blessed in God. It's one of the great chapters in all of the Bible. Indeed, tradition has it that St. Augustine himself had the words of Psalm 32 inscribed on the wall of his bedroom so that every time he rose from sleep, he was reminded of these powerful words of God. Psalm 32 begins with the word blessed, happy, just like Psalm 1 that we read last week. The wonderful preacher from Seattle that's retired now, Earl Palmer, used to like to say that when you hear the word blessed, think you're on the right path. Whether it's the Beatitudes or in the Psalms or somewhere else, when you hear blessed, think you're on the right path. You're on the right road to, being, to living the life that God created us to live, the road that God designed us to be on. And so from the beginning, Psalm 32 is about blessing, but in a very particular way. It is the blessing of humanity which is rooted in the saving action of God Almighty. Carl Bosma of Calvin Theological Seminary points out the repetition of God's action from different images drives home its importance. Again, if you're ever reading the Bible and you want to know what's important, look at what's repeated over and over. And what Dr. Bosma writes here is that to illumine the extent of God's forgiveness, three different verbal roots are employed in the first two verses, to carry, to cover, and to impute. Two of these are repeated in verse 5. And to avoid the reduction of human wrongdoing to a cliche, verses 1 and 2 also employ the three most common images or words from the Old Testament describing sin, each of which denotes a special aspect of human sin. The first is a political term. It means to rebel. The second term for sin means to miss the target. And the third sin, the third term, denotes a crooked act, and it always in, and it entails one's will, which means guilt. But the good news, I think, from here begins early in chapter 32. Where's the good news in all of that? Three different kinds of sin. Well, he doesn't say, blessed is the person who has never committed a crooked act, or never rebelled, or never missed the mark though that wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? He says, blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. The blessed person, according to the psalmist, is the, the, not the person who is, is the person who has been forgiven of their rebellion, 
who's missing the mark has been covered, whose willful wrongdoing has been redeemed and transformed into something good by God. The entryway of blessing is introduced here in Psalm 32 as being forgiven by God of our sin. That's the starting point of the blessed life. Not because our sin is no big deal, because surely it is, but we serve a big God who is gracious and merciful and redeems our lives and forgives our sin. Now in our day and time, sin has been put on a shelf by a lot of churches and in a lot of places. It has kind of a pejorative term that it's used as for what they do. You know, them out there, wherever they may be. Bosma writes, with the loss of the concept of sin, many contemporary church liturgies also omit the confession of sin and replace it with the Protestant confessional, gossip in which we confess our neighbor's sin instead of our own. Aren't we good at that? We are far better, aren't we, at confessing other people's sin than we are at confessing our own too often. They're the ones that need Jesus. I'm pretty close already, probably, right? I mean, I go to church. When we lose that concept of sin, we lose the concept of God's grace as well. Moreover, in our therapeutic society, counseling has often taken the place of confession, Bosma writes. Learning how to live with a positive self-esteem in the midst of our living in sin has become a goal for some. Dallas Willard calls it the gospel of sin management. But biblically and theologically, sin is a part of the human condition for all of us. It is is what we are born with as a condition of our own self-absorption. And it is also the things that we do that take us away from loving God and our neighbors. But we all know how to deal with sin, right? Sometimes we deny it. Sin? I don't see any sin. Do you see any sin? No sin here. Or we justify it. C.S. Lewis is the one who said, I've never committed a sin I could not justify at the moment I committed it. We're pretty good at that. I might sin, but it was for a very good reason. It all goes back to the very first sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Remember when the tempter said to Eve, did God really say don't eat of that tree? I saw an interesting church sign recently that said, never put a period where God has put a comma. And my legalistic side rose up within me. And I thought about calling that church and saying, I think you should have a second sign there too that says, and never put a comma where God has put a period. We rearrange the punctuation that God puts in places, but when we lose our understanding of sin, when we lose the places where God has indeed put periods for our blessing and for our good, we lose an understanding of how amazing God's grace is, that it reaches even sinners like every single one of us 
that turn our backs on God, that rebel against God. Amazing grace comes only to the sinners, people who know they need God's grace, people who know they are wretched, to the people who truly sing the hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. We're not bringing anything to the dance, but God has provided everything. The second question of the Heidelberg Catechism in our book of confessions goes like this. It says, what must you know to live and die in the joy of God's comfort? Three things, it says. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sin and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. It all goes together. The story of the gospel goes together. The misery and sin in which we live and the great grace of God which delivers us into freedom as well. Sin is real in each of our lives personally and in our life together collectively as a church and as a society as well. Read the Old Testament and the New Testament. You'll find it everywhere. The question is what we will do with it. What do you do with your sin? Do we hide it? Do we deny it? Do we justify it? Do we struggle with it? Or do we bring it to God? Do we bring it to the one who can do something about it in confession? The beauty of Psalm 32 takes an incredible personal journey to celebrate one story who took a wrong turn. And yet God restored and redeemed his life and put him on the right road again. Verse 3 tells part of the story. He says, while I kept silence, my body wasted away. What is he saying? He was talking about a time in his life when he was denying that sin that was going on in his own life. He was hiding it from God as if, right? But it not just took a toll on his spirit, but on his body as well. There was a physical manifestation of guilt in his body that he was feeling, that his bones were wasting away. Have you ever felt something like that? Have you ever felt a guilt or an emotion in your mind that you were thinking about something and feeling it, and all of a sudden your body started to respond as your mind was? Your stomach starts to turn in knots and grind away at you. The spiritual has a manifestation in our physical bodies very often. Guilt does that. Have you ever felt the dread of seeing someone who you knew you had done wrong or they had done you wrong? The psalmist is relaying here to us the truth that as long as we deny or justify or try to hide our sin, we reap sickness and we reap death. And it manifests itself spiritually, physically, and relationally in our lives. But the pivot of this psalm comes in verse 5. Then I acknowledge to you my sin, right? I'm not hiding it anymore. I'm not denying it anymore. Then I acknowledge to you my sin. 
and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Acknowledging our sin is the first step of finding forgiveness. Some of what we need most to do is to stop justifying our sin, stop denying our sin, stop managing our sin, and simply acknowledge it to God, to agree with God that says, you're right. This isn't good for me or for this world or for my relationship with you. God is the one who defines sin, and God has the remedy. We can't hide it from God. Some people around us today only will define sin by what feels wrong or doesn't feel wrong to them. But at no point in the development of Christian theology that I'm aware of has the human heart ever been a reliable gauge for what is right and what is wrong. Jesus never said, trust your feelings. Jesus never said, do what you think is right. God's word and God's commandments tell us what sin is. And when we confess, when we come to that acknowledgement, all we're doing is agreeing with God, saying, you're right. I've taken a wrong turn. But what happens when we confess our sin to God? He forgives the guilt of our sin. This acknowledgement of confession is something that we provide space for in worship virtually every week that we are together because it's the one thing that we need every week, every day, every hour, every minute. We need to unburden our souls to God. We need to be reminded of the path that we have wandered off of and remember the one who has created us loves us. And his mercy and grace are new every morning. And he is the one who brings us back. The theologian Cornelius Platinga Jr. observes convincingly the frank and painful confession of sins that is necessary in our lives. And he gives a very colorful image. He writes this, the problem is that sin is like garbage. You don't want to let it build up. Confessing sin is a bit like taking out the garbage, he writes. You want to do it regularly because taking out the garbage is an extremely healthy thing to do. Is it not? Confession of our sin is taking out the garbage. It's putting it where it can be taken away for good rather than just stinking up our lives and poisoning our air. The miraculous beauty of this acknowledgement and confession is that the psalmist goes from being a person who is hiding from God, just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, to being a person who hides in God by the end of the psalm. You are my hiding place, he writes. And isn't that a beautiful turn, a beautiful deliverance and reversal? To go from being that person who runs and hides from God to being that person who runs and hides in God, the one who has loved us. The psalmist gives an invitation in verse 9 that extends to us today as well. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Do not be like the horse or the mule without understanding 
whose temper must be tamed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. I think my parents might have put that on the wall of our rooms when we were growing up. Don't be like the horse or the mule. In fact, John Piper's sermon on this very text was titled, How Not to Be a Mule. I love it. The gracious invitation of the Lord to you and me today is to not be a mule is to not be a stubborn beast who will not receive the truth, who will not turn from where they are. The mule is stubborn in holding on to sin, to denying that there is sin, to trying to hide it, to attempting to manage it. But the gospel of Christ tells us that the thing to do with sin is to confess it and to receive forgiveness that is ready and waiting from the hand of our Father in heaven, to get back on the right road. That is the heart of the gospel. Your sins can be forgiven and you can be reconciled to God. Even though we are all on the wrong path at times in our lives, we can be back on the path for which God created and called us. We are not beyond hope. Doing good things is not the heart of the gospel. Creating social services is not the heart of the gospel. Those are the fruit of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is when we hear the words of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And the love of God that brings us home to himself. The beautiful sentence near the end of this psalm, steadfast love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Steadfast love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Do you want to receive that invitation today? Do you want to receive, to say, I'm I'm done denying the sin, I'm done hiding the sin, I'm done justifying the sin, that stuff in my life that I know is obstructing my relationship with God? Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven who goes from taking a wrong turn to be put on the right course with Jesus Christ and following him. There is nowhere that this is more clear to us than as we come to the table this morning. For our sin was what cost Jesus everything when he came to the table. Our sin, yours and mine, each one of us, But the remedy is here as well. Because when Jesus said, my body is broken for you, my blood is poured out for you, he meant each one of us who are here that we might be made whole, that we might be healed, that we might be restored to the life of God. Let us pray. And so God, today we do thank and praise you for all that you have done. We confess again, God, that we have wandered astray, that we are lost, that we are disoriented. Give us the grace and the courage, Lord, to seek your face, to agree with you, to stop justifying and stop denying and stop hiding our sin and simply confess it to you because we know that with you there is forgiveness and mercy. Cleanse us from our guilt, O God.
and surround us with your steadfast love. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Owen. If you'd like to find out more about our church or view a video of the full service, visit our website, westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.